Welcome to the Gifters Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Kai. This podcast is sponsored by the GPS Online Program, which teaches you how to turn your story into a successful speaking and online coaching business. For more information, go to ChristopherKai.com. Very excited today. We have a very special guest. Philip Fernandez is the founder and CEO of Wizard Business Consulting, a Melbourne, Australia-based leadership training firm. He helps his clients become more high-performance leaders by utilizing what he calls wizard cutting-edge management development, staff development, and performance management strategies based on applying what he calls the winning mindset. Philip has worked for global brands like L'Oreal and has more than 30 years of global experience working with professionals in Australia, New Zealand, France, the UK, the US, and Asia. He's also the author of Extraordinary Leadership for Everyday Managers. Philip, welcome to our podcast. Thanks, Christopher. We're really glad to be here. So what always, always, always really inspires me, because this is all about you sharing your story to inspire other people, let's go back to the origin story. When was one of the first moments that you realized that you're an entrepreneur? Yeah, well, it's a really good question, Christopher. Uh, it probably brings me back to when I was about 14. Uh, when, uh, uh, you know, obviously at school and you needed some extra money uh, and uh, trying to do the right thing as well. And I came across a charitable organization called House With No Steps. Mm. And virtually they are you know, designed for quadriplegics and paraplegics, people that can't get into homes uh, with, uh, with no stairs. And, uh, you know, there was 10% the commission on the on door knocking. So one of the first things I was asked was, can you, you know, you okay door knocking and asking for money? Because sometimes you're going to get some irate customers. Some, some, some people are not too happy about people door knocking. I said, oh, that's fine. So obviously I went through the highs and lows. Uh, but I found that uh, two things I found to, to get money more quickly and to get my commission more quickly was to uh, target uh, apartments or flats, as we call it. So you have 20, 30 homes in a smaller space. And um, so you don't have to walk that far, but certainly you've got to be fit climbing up and down stairs. The second time, the second thing was people do feel sorry for you on a rainy day. So whenever it's raining, you get out there because no one gets out there. So um, I used to make about $50 a day in commission. And if you think about it in the 70s and 80s, um, the average wage was $53. I made that in one day. That's a great story, Philip. What's crazy about that story is the fact that even at age 14, there was a bit of a, a prescience about you because you recognized that there was a business opportunity. And then you said, you know what? I want more business opportunities by going to apartments where you're increasing your probability of success. And then you're like, you know what? If it's raining, I have even more success. But you also get to be healthy by walking up the stairs. Now, the other caveat that I don't even know if you realize for our listeners to really see in terms of your, your wisdom and whatnot and prowess is that so many people might make the money, but they don't really make much of a difference. And in one of your first memories, you both made money and made a difference. And so was it something that you personally felt called to really help people that were, couldn't walk? Was that coincidental that you, you chose that? that yeah. Company? I mean, obviously... Yeah, it is. I mean, it was you know, I had a very a, a good, a strict uh, religious upbringing and, and doing the right thing for, for, for people. And that was one thing that was advertised around in those days. And I thought, well, how can I make money as well as doing a, a good thing for humanity and, and helping these people? So getting, keeping fit at the same time, I thought was a great combination. 
It's amazing. So let's rewind even more. I mean, did you always have that sense of winning mentality or were you supported by your parents? Talk to us about your childhood and how you were raised. Yeah, I, I, again, it was not conscious at the time. Uh, you know, interesting upbringing. Yes, uh, you know, I, I, I had things in my life, but there's one thing that I still talk about today is, is the word love. I, I found it sometimes difficult to identify with what love actually is. Uh, because you know, uh, my father particularly was a very, uh, very corporal in the way he brought up. He was in the in the Royal Navy Reserve. He was very much a uniformed man, and everything was black and white. Uh, very, very strict. And the point is that uh, you know, virtually, I was brought up with 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 fear management. You know, do the right thing, or uh, or else you'd be punished. And in those days, of course, uh, uh, you got the cane. You know, um, what does that mean? Was, like he would literally take a a cane made of sugarcane and like hit you or how did that work yeah in those days there were you know sugarcane or bamboo uh, bamboo uh, canes and they had all different sizes and of course uh, if that touched your skin uh it it, it your, you bled uh, it was very wow. painful wow. Uh, and of course uh, if i did something wrong which i found i was doing a lot of things wrong in my life i i, I was very mischievous uh, and uh, yes, the, the caning was uh, was fearful, and it did hurt, and it did leave. Uh, you know, uh, uh, it probably did take a toll on me through my life. And and when I look back now, I'm I, I'm, I uh, there was one particular time when I uh, was uh, you know fiddling with uh, my father's grandfather's clock. He had a beautiful clock on the wall, uh, and uh, something went wrong with it. And of course, I was trying to fix it. He came home in the evening. Uh, realized that that was his precious clock and of course the cane came out uh, and it was uh, it was terrible uh, but you know what the thing is that uh, when I look back I must have been strong in some ways where you can you can go two ways you can actually go within yourself go inside or you can say you know just watch me I'm going to prove you that I'm better than what you think I am yeah. and I probably I think that was the, the catalyst for me and the thing is, it's so telling, Philip, because you look at someone like Elon Musk. I've interviewed Elon before, and I wasn't sure why he never really spoke about his father. And after reading the biography by Ashley Vance, now I know why, because unfortunately, Elon did not have a great relationship with his father in South Africa. And to this day, he has a very, very negative opinion of his father for various reasons. I myself, I didn't have the best relationship with my father as well in terms of he was very strict. He never caned me, but there was just a lot of verbal things that he said that I wish he didn't. But the point is, when you have those experiences, like you said, you can go this way where you're repeating this, this abuse, or you can go the other way, which it seems like you have, where you understand love, you know, having that winning mindset. And so as you develop yourself, your character, your leadership skills, tell us a little bit about some of your work experience that you literally, you have 30 plus years of experience. You've worked with global brands like L'Oreal. So talk to us about that and what you learned in those very established brands globally. Okay, great, fantastic. Well, one of the things that happened to me through my through my growing life, and as you get older and you get more experience, and you realise the more you know, the you know the more the more how little you actually do know uh, in life. Um, and 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 one of the things is humility. And uh, and before we go any further, what I've developed over the years. My father lived to ninety seven, wow. which is last year. He, he died away last year. Wow. But a, a very, very pleasant death. Thank you. Thank goodness before COVID. But what I learned was to forgive him mm. for he did not know any better anyway. And so I took that philosophies and took it into my business life. And the fact is that if someone doesn't know any better, that they think they're doing the right thing, you can't blame them for it. 
but unless if they do know something about it, it's a different story. And so through my through my uh, career, um, I found I, you know I fell into uh, by accident into some global companies. Uh, one of them was with uh, L'Oreal, uh, and I lasted you know 17 years with them, and they took me uh, to about three countries around the world, starting in sales, of course, and then through to state, and then sales directorship. And of course, uh, general management, country manager, and then human resource directorship as well. Working in Australia, New Zealand, France, and UK, and then was exposed to the USA and Asia as well. So I was blessed in some ways with my family, was be able to see and travel the world with something that I loved and something that I talk about to this very day in my book and in my talks is that there are two things you need within yourself. If you're not passionate and if you're not excited about what you're doing, You'll never succeed. All right. You might have all the skills in your life, but if you don't have that passion and drive to really want to achieve something, nothing will happen. I've taken that through with me through life. And I have been able to train, educate the mindset of my employees in those days. And one of the things was whatever brand I was looking at, particularly when I came back to Australia and I was heading up uh, the Redkin brand. Now, Redkin is huge in the States. Uh, as a company, L'Oreal owns them. They're on Fifth Avenue, New York. I love New York. I was there for for two weeks during winter, and it was bloody cold, I tell you. <laughs> and uh, and um, one of the things that uh, I found that a lot of people wanted to work for me because it, they called it the fun brand. Mm-hmm. We had fun, okay? you got to have fun. But I was very clear in my expectations. So I had a knack of employing the right people, getting them to take ownership, having fun, but at, at the end of the day, hit their targets and help me write the bottom line. Now, I make it sound simple. There's a lot more factors and KPIs we need to identify, but those ingredients I took with me and uh, we became successful. And of course, I still keep in touch with those people to this very day. Some of them are running companies, some are managing directors, uh, some are founders. It does not matter. They have taken those values with them through life. That's great. And it's very telling about your character, Philip. Like I said, you're talking about love. You're talking about forgiveness. You're talking about the fact that though you worked there years ago, you still stay in touch with them, but it shows how you work with your clients and how you have that winning mindset, but also a long-term mindset. So what do you feel allowed you to really have this very illustrious career over so many years? What were some, some winning mindsets that you had to actually help you not just perform yourself, but really inspire your, your team members to do the same on a global scale? Um, well, as I said, going back earlier, it, you know, I, I like to keep things simple. You know, the KISS formula, keep it simple, stupid. You know, it's about people try to overcomplicate things. You know, yes, I've got, uh, you know, um, university background studies and I've done started studies in psychology. I'm an, a master NLP practitioner with one of the greatest companies, Cad James & Co., which is in the States. Um all about how we think I can behave. That's all great to have that as a background in understanding human capital because, you know, my company, Business Consulting, that I started 13 years ago, um, is about um, assets are in people, is my logo. Assets are in people, in the intangibles. Uh, without them, you, you, you know, you won't have all the other tangible assets, but it's beyond that. Uh, and so... Um, one of the things that uh, before I started, uh, when I left corporate life, I uh, uh, was, uh, you know, very much meeting a lot of people who thought, well, you could actually make more money doing 
what we do, our speakers yeah. and coaches, rather than, you know, your, your, I said, you've got to be kidding. Well, you have a gift for that. And so uh, I plunged into it. It took me about a year to actually discover and find out and do my research. And then I left a very high-paying job uh, in Australia and then started this company 13 years ago and developed it and evolved into what we see today, which is all about leadership and the winning mindset. Great. And let's talk um, about this, this company that uh, you have. Tell, tell us how you help your clients. Well, virtually what I do is I um, uh, virtually a lot of clients uh, call me or contact me for quite a few reasons. The number one reason is that uh, I want to get my staff to perform better. I can't seem to be able to communicate with them. I can't get through to them. This new generation, they're not listening to me. How come they just don't do what I do? I want them to try and make more money for me. Could they just turn up to work and go home? You know, how do I get them to take ownership? Uh, you know, I want more bums on seats in this part of the world as I want more clients. <laughs> okay. Um, and virtually those are the main driving forces. But when I actually sit down with them and do a, a, a business analysis, uh, in a lot of cases, I find that, you know, it starts at the top. Um, fish rots at the head first. And so it starts with the leader. It starts with the business owner. It starts with the CEO. I examine their values and what they bring to the business. And, um, if they say to me, you know what, Phil, I'm glad you asked me that question. Yes, I need to look at how I act and behave and think. I said, we can start talking because, you know, it starts at the top and that infrastructure is flows right through to the business, through the culture and through how employees want to follow the leader to become and to take ownership. All right. Those are things. That's the space I work in. It is prolific throughout any company throughout the world. You ask any CEO, you know, what's one of your biggest nightmares is saying, really, you know, I want, I, want my, I want the bottom line to be more consistent. I want my employees to take more ownership. There are good companies out there, you know, like the Elon Musk or the Richard Bransons of this world. I love their philosophies. Uh, but there's a lot of companies uh, that uh, don't understand humility. Uh, the, uh, they don't understand being vulnerable. And that's huge as a CEO to be able to say, listen, you know, I made a mistake. I'm accountable for it. Uh, and once I find that you can overcome that and embrace that, uh, the rest of it, you're open enough to learn. And that's the space that I'm in. I don't work with the KPIs that we already know. I say I work in the space of why can't we achieve it? What's stopping us and what's the limiting beliefs that we're working with? That's more important because that's more long term. Yeah, no, that's great, Philip. And I'm curious, walk us through how you go about helping your clients, meaning let's say, I want to hire you and walk me through. You have like a planning meeting or what are some questions you start asking your clients in the beginning part? Well, um, virtually we go through a, uh, as I said, a needs analysis. We sit down, we have an hour consultation that's uh, complimentary. Uh, if it's online, we do the same thing online as well. And we discover what the needs are. Those are some of the basic stuff. But it could be the fact that I don't, and my policies and procedures are not in place. I need a better policy. I need people systems. I need an appraisal system. I need a performance management system. Whatever they need, we, I tailor it for them. And virtually, uh, it's spending a few hours every month, two, three hours with the, with the leaders and the business owners. And then spending a similar time with the employees, I've developed what I call the Wizard Cutting Edge Staff Development Program and taking them through a series of modules. That This can be done face-to-face uh, -face or online and virtually getting them to look at themselves, to, to build that confidence, to 
to improve their language and communication, to a whole lot of things to get them to become better humans and therefore become better employees. A lot of them at those age, they, they start in their, in their early teens right through to 40 and 50 years of age. It does not matter. But some of them have never been exposed to anything like this in their lives. You know, their parents might be great or whatever, but they don't cross these things about, it's not happening at schools either, about how do I actually cope? Uh, how, do I, how do I build resilience? How do I tackle anxiety? How do I tackle stress? Is it really anxiety or is it something else that's causing me? It comes back to the mindset. And you, you know, Christopher, around the world globally right now, you know, particularly now the pandemic, you know, depression, anxiety, stress is huge out there. Uh, but being able to equip these young people to be able to cope with that, uh, understand, and then and then switch out, switch out of that thinking is amazing, which then helps them in their workspace. And it's just, it goes the same for the leader as well. Yeah. No, I like how specific you are relative to your coaching. You have this management aspect, you have the staff aspect, and you also have this performance aspect. So can you share with us a, a case study or a client that you have worked with and just walk us through some of the results that you were able to get through your clients? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm currently still their business coach and mentor, but uh, this particular client had about six different retail outlets and they were in the uh, aesthetics uh, business. And I work with all sorts uh, of industry, but this particular one comes to mind and uh, they grew by organically by default, just on great customer services and, and they grew and grew and they had a great clientele. Uh, they're in the uh, a part of Sydney, which is another city in, in, in Australia. Uh, which are the two main cities of Sydney and Melbourne, the big, the big growth areas, the commercial areas. Uh, but they came to one of my seminars and uh, the, the two owners and, and what attracted them to what I was saying was exactly what I just told you about uh, because they had to sit down and do a leadership test for me and virtually realize that, uh, you know, they, they failed the <laughs> test. <laughs> Go, wow. Okay. Uh, we need to talk to Phil um, because, um, you know, they, they didn't have, they wanted a policy system, the policy and procedure system. They wanted a better incentive program. They never really communicated and sat down and had formal appraisals with their team because they were afraid that the managers didn't know how to communicate. They didn't know how to do it. Uh, they were not uh, computer savvy as well. So there was a lot of things going on with the, this couple. Um, cut long story short, over the two years, um, I call it the 80-20 rule where it's the Pareto principle. Mm -hmm. uh, and in a lot of businesses, you find that 80% of the staff just turn up to work and there's 20% that are holding the fort. And they're the ones that are productive. So I said, what I'll do is I'll flip that for you, where 80% become profitable and 20% float in and out. Would you like that? Oh, yes, thank you very much. I'll have that tick the box. And, of course, uh, putting the other systems in place. Well, in a three-year period, we achieved that. All right. Um, the owners were had the ability and the funds to actually go on holidays because they knew their managers could actually manage the business that was skillful enough to be able to do that. Um, they had a 5% growth over the uh, three-year period with 16% less staff, okay, and a higher turnover. What does that mean? Okay, they're laughing all the way to the bank. To me, uh, a number is a number. I always say don't be hung up on the number of staff. They had 50 staff over five outlets, all right? They don't want to be hung up on the more staff you get, the more you have turnover. It's got nothing to do with that. That's how productive the staff that you have got is, is better, which means that, as we know, your wage bill is the, the highest uh, 
overhead that you have in your business. So if you can cut that down and increase turnover, guess what happens to your business? So uh, that is it's exactly what happened. And they're over the moon. Uh, and now I'm their permanent coach and mentor and, and shrinking, whatever you want to call me, <laughs> for their business. <laughs> is, is that why? Did they coin the term wizard? Because again, some of the things you shared, it really feels like magic. So why did you choose to call your company wizard? Well, wizard's an interesting thing. Wizard is someone that is, uh, uh, you know, is full of surprises. It specializes in wizardry in something that people uh, don't realize they'll get in a shorter space of time. Okay, I don't like to waste too much time in getting to the results. Hence, why I'm an NLP practitioner because we can get there a lot quicker. Uh, we we disrupt the, the neurology of the brain into thinking differently and to uh, confronting our fears, which is very, very uh, you know, scary for a lot of people. Uh, but as you know, Chris, uh, to be successful and to win at life, you need to feel uncomfortable. You need to, to, to hop into the, to the box of fear and face it before you actually are motivated to grow. Uh, it's an interesting, which I learned at a very young age, you know, through my father by default. Mm. Um, uh, when I was a, a, a champion swimmer at the age of uh, 15, they were training for the Commonwealth Games. I learned that by default. I had a tough coach. Uh, and if I didn't work hard enough, another 20 lengths of the Olympic pool. I mean, or if you didn't have enough, get to the top of the diving board and jump off. Now, that was scary, man. Because <laughs> so if I didn't want to jump off, I had to make sure that I was fit and did the times. Right? Yeah, so um, motivation is an interesting thing. So let's talk about this academy that you've created, Philip. What is, what is that about? Well, uh, one of the things that uh, in the last few years that I've been using the terminology about winning, I keep saying everybody's a winner. Everybody's a winner. When I say that, I get interesting looks from, from, uh, from the audience. They're going, yeah, sure, tell me another one. I know a lot of losers out there, right? Or I don't feel like a winner. Like, I've, I've, you know, I've really got to work hard at winning. And so they get the wrong context of what winning really is. You know, winning belongs to the CEOs or the prime ministers or the presidents of this world or someone that's in high position. They're winning or winning is, is doing a million dollar deal or, or, or owning a beautiful home or, or winning a race. Winning is greater than that. And so virtually I kept thinking about it. And one thing that drove me in March of this year, where in Australia and globally the, the COVID-19 kicked kicked in dramatically and really shattered the lives of a lot of people out there. Um, affected my business as well and affected a lot of people's uh, people out there. And I thought, how can I actually give back and, and came across the Winning Mindset, the Winning Mindset Academy, which I quickly um, um, took on. So I own the Winning Mindset Academy and Winning Mindset Leadership. And so the, the basis behind that is to... Um, Chris, it's tough come I met you. Um, you're a winner. Uh, I'm a winner, but winner in a different set of I'm growing my LinkedIn network uh, immensely globally uh, through podcasts, but through like-minded people who understand that, that because they are successful, it doesn't matter what they're doing, that along the way they had to be able to think as a winner through adversity to become winning. Now, winning could be that this big. It's about saying, I want to achieve that and winning in that. It might not be related to being something monetary. That's not what winning is all about. That comes later. So I'm building that community right now 
so that we can then others might say, you know what, that if they that person can win, wow, that's you know, I'm like them, I can win too, right? And start winning at the smaller things. Guess what? That does to your mindset. How does it tackle depression? How does it tackle anxiety, confidence, a whole lot of things when one feels one can win at something? Uh, and that's that's my first step of building this community and of course then bringing in what I call my eight-week online uh, winning mindset leadership program which I'm in the process of developing which will be launching next year to a group of people and my other one-on-one -on -one thing is the winning mindset breakthrough session mm. uh, which is an eight-hour program six to eight hours over two stints and during that time we start with discovery of the person this is online and then we create an intervention and strategy and then when you're finished with that you will have such a crystal clear path and goal for whatever you want to do in business or personal and I'll tell you what it is transformational so that's kind of uh, the picture that I'm, I'm creating uh, as we speak that's great Philip you bring up two things that I want everyone to really understand and, and sink their teeth into one is the fact that Networking, your network is the number one best predictor for career success based on a guy named Ryan Burt out of the University of Chicago. He literally studied network science and you're building this network, which is so important. And then the mindset, well, we've talked about this many times, but another woman named Dr. Cal Dweck, another uh, doctor, I should say, talked about growth mindset and fixed mindset. So for you, you are literally a, a perfect example of a, of a growth mindset leader because throughout all of our conversation, you talked about how, yes, I've faced these challenges and these obstacles, but I had a forgiving mentality. Yes, it was challenging for some of the workers or employees that I work with, but I ask them certain questions, but it's just very telling of your character and your leadership skills that you're able to really bring in the stuff, whether good or bad, perceived good or bad, but really put it together to create things like your coaching and training and keynote speaking. So I'm curious, what do you most love about your, your role as, as this mentor, this trainer, this speaker? What do you most love when you work with your clients? You know what? The, the, the biggest thing is, is seeing my clients and seeing others uh, have a change in their life for the better for them to be more confident, for them to achieve something they never thought they'd achieve, for them maybe to write a book, for them to uh, create a multi-million dollar company, for them to be able to do something very simple but they never thought they could do that, overcoming their fears. I mean, I have some employees now in businesses that once we give them the performance tools, I get texts from time to time from an employee that I've met a few years ago and they send me a picture of their sales targets and go, and guess what, I smashed it. <laughs> I smashed it again today, Phil. I just thought I wanted to tell you that. You know, and that is priceless. That is priceless because you know that they've taken control of their life and, and they can deal with the ups, but they can also deal with the downs, and that's important. I always say people, you'll never get rid of the downs, right? That voice is always going to be there. But it's what you do with it when it occurs, and that's what we're going to skill you up on. And when you can take, take control of that, Whenever you're in that space, you have the uh, methodology and the mindset to actually go there, resolve it, and then move on to the next step. And to me, that's priceless. Uh, that's, that's why I do what I do. Yeah. Again, it goes back to your story about how one of your first jobs as a high school student was making a living but helping other people. I remember I have a, a cousin of mine, he, he came to visit me in California. At the time I had this beautiful pool in my backyard and he had a 10 year old son named Ethan. And Ethan was a bit afraid, just like sometimes your clients might be afraid to learn, to grow. As you mentioned, there's a lot of struggles in life. But 
Ethan wouldn't want to remove himself from the side of the pool and because he was afraid. He's afraid to sink. And my cousin said to him at one point, he said, Ethan, it's not important how deep the water is as long as you know how to swim. An analogy with life, there's going to be deep challenges, struggles, obstacles. But when you have someone like you, Philip, you literally are teaching them how to swim in that having that winning mindset. So from a daily standpoint, what is a tip or strategy you might want to share with us from your academy or from your worldly experience over 30 plus years? What's one thing we can all do to have this winning mindset each day? Well, that's a, that's a, that's a very, very good question, really. I mean, uh, you know, how long is a piece of string? <laughs> At the end of the day... <laughs> Um, you know, it, it comes back to passion and excitement. And, and you know, interesting, you touch on that swimming thing about your cousin. And, and, and you know, when I, when I first started to swim, I, didn't, I couldn't swim at the age of 10. I could not swim. I'm embarrassed. I, I love the water, but I could not swim. My parents found this uh, ex-Olympian that uh, was doing some training and said, well, can you teach my son to swim? Not knowing that I would actually become a great swimmer. And in three days, he taught me all the strokes. He taught me how to dog paddle in the water. And then on the third day, he took me to the side of the, of the pool. It was at the deep end, 12 feet. And, the, and, and before I knew it, I was in the water. He chucked me in. All right. And I tell you what, I had drunk so much water that day. Oh, I thought I was going to drown. And he said, you know what to do, Phil. You know what to do. Why are you panicking? You know what to do. And I did dog paddle. I did survive. I'm here to tell you the story because I was, I, I was alive. <laughs> And from that day onwards, I then became, you know, he, he, he trained me in, in the ability to win at, at swimming. And, and I think that moment is I've taken that. And the reason I said, why did I per persevere with that? Why didn't I tell him, stick it? I'm, I don't want this. You need to kill me here. Why did I persevere with that? And the reason is that I actually was very excited and passionate about swimming. I actually became passionate about swimming because I could see that I could win gold medals. You know, that drove me. But more, than, more so than that, it's about the action about swimming was an amazing sport for me. And I took that away right now. I mean, at my age, I'm, you know, God bless, I'm still fit. I go to the gym and I always go back to the time I've never had lung problems. I've always been an athlete. Uh, and I've taken that. I don't take that, um, you know, for granted either. I don't take anything for granted because anything can happen to us tomorrow. But it comes back to that total mindset of mind and body. There's so many modalities out there that can help you there. But if you are driven, if you are passionate and excited about something and you find purpose in it, all right, that's everything I do. Why am I creating the Winning Mindset Academy? There is a purpose for it. If there's no purpose in doing things, why do it? Because then we're doing it because someone else is doing it. I might as well do it because it's trendy. Well, it ain't going to work. Because you don't, you haven't found your purpose, your soul. And so if I can leave you with anything, it's about the purpose that you're doing something for. If you understand the purpose, it'll drive passion, it'll drive excitement, it'll drive need, it'll drive motivation. But purpose for what we want to do in life is critical. I love that, Philip. And it's actually a perfect way to end our show because of the fact that you just said that an ex-Olympian trained you. And ultimately, when clients hire you, they're essentially getting this ex-Olympian and you training them. They're really helping them clarify the purpose and have that passion. Because like I said, you can have all the money in the world, but if you don't contribute and celebrate your life and help those other people celebrate their lives, it really is for naught. So, Philip, thank you so much for being on our show today. Really appreciate you. Have a, have a great day and, and keep inspiring your clients and the world. Thank you for listening to the Gifters Podcast. 
If you want to learn how to turn your story into a successful speaking and online coaching business, go to ChristopherKai.com to learn more.